We are in week three of our week three of three for our The Time Is Now series. And this is uh, what you see. This is walking through uh, the book of Haggai just in three quick weeks to say, hey, what is God uh, in telling the people uh, in that place, in that time, uh, and how can we take that message and apply it to our life? And how can the story of Haggai really inspire us and call us to um, to action and to deeper faith and to, to following God where he uh, is uh, asking us to obediently go. So I hope you've enjoyed this. If you've been following along, if you've been here, if you haven't been here, we have those uh, on the website and the podcast as well. You can catch, catch up and you can say, what is guy talking about? You can say, oh yeah, this is what happened when I wasn't here. So um, you can feel free to do that. But, but first, um, before we, before I pray, I like to pray at the beginning of my messages. Um, it's kind of my way of kind of uh, just reminding myself, asking God to be present in it, but then also just kind of like helping me relax my mind and say, all right, God, you uh, are in charge of everything. I hand you everything. So I want to pray before I start to preach. But, um, but first, I want to read the story for the main passage today. Um, from the message series because I like the message series in this particular case because it, it really walks us through and helps us to have a good understanding of, of what's happening in the passage. And then we're gonna break it down, kind of walk through it together. So here's what it has. If you have your Bibles with you, it's Haggai 2. We're gonna read verses nine, or 10 through 19, 10 through 19. God's word says, on the 24th day of the ninth month, Again, this was the second year of Darius. God's message came to Haggai. God of the angel's armies speaks. Consult the priest for a ruling. If someone carries a piece of sacred meat in his pocket, meat that is set apart for sacrifice on the altar, and the pocket touches a loaf of bread, a dish of stew, a bottle of wine or oil, or, you know, any food, will these foods be made holy by such contact? The priest said, no. Then Haggai said, how about someone who is contaminated by touching a corpse? If that person touches one of these foods, will it be contaminated? And the priest said, yes, it will be contaminated. Then Haggai said, so this people is contaminated. Their nation is contaminated. Everything they do is contaminated. Whatever they do for me is contaminated. God says so. Think back. Before you set out to lay the first foundation stones for the rebuilding of the temple, how did it go with you? Isn't it true that your foot-dragging, half-hearted efforts at rebuilding the temple of God were reflected in a sluggish, halfway return on your crops? Half the grain you were used to getting, half the wine. I hit you with drought and blight and hail. Everything Everything you were doing got hit but it didn't seem to phase you. You continue to ignore me, God's decree. Now think ahead from this same date, this 24th day of the ninth month, think ahead from where the temple rebuilding was launched. Has anything in your fields, vine, fig tree, pomegranate, olive, oil, olive tree, failed to flourish? From now on, you can count on a blessing. Amen. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you so much for the message of Haggai. I thank you so much for uh, the words in here that I know if we're hearing for the first time this week are, uh, seem a little bit, uh, a little bit law-like, a little bit heavy, a little bit Old Testament. Um, but God, I do pray and I know that, Lord, as your spirit works in the word, we know that your spirit works as we study and as we hear and as we talk about your word. Um, so Lord, I ask that as we... Um, talk today that you will, by your spirit, you will open our minds and our hearts to the message that you have for each of us today. Uh, I trust you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me give you quickly, uh, uh, set the scene like I've done the last two weeks, just in case, because I know some of you haven't been here for any of this series. So let me just briefly tell you what's happening. So before we get into the book of Haggai, and Haggai's just two chapters. Today we're talking about chapter two to wrap it up. But before we get to the book of Haggai, what's happening is King Solomon, who is the son of King David, King Solomon has in his lifetime built this magnificent, beautiful temple that people were traveling for miles to to come to this temple, to make sacrifices, to connect with God. To, to connect with their creator. But then other people were coming just because it was this magnificent architecture. It must have just been an amazing thing to see. But while Solomon was alive and the temple was there, people were coming and they were worshiping the one true God. After Solomon passed away, unfortunately, uh, what happens a lot of times, right, is, is the people stopped worshiping God The leader was gone, so they kind of put that on the back burner, and they started worshiping idols. So God raised up King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebi and the Babylonian army, and they came in, and they kind of desolated the city, and they desolated the temple, and and all of the Jews kind of scattered out in exile for 50 years. For 50 years, they were scattered, and and they knew that the temple was desolated, and they couldn't rebuild it. And they wanted so bad to go back and rebuild that. Just like if something happens in your life and you're like, I just want to go back and fix that. And wouldn't it be so painful to not be able to fix something that's that important to you? So after 50 years of being away, so 50 years of of babies being born and people passing away and some people not ever remembering it, 50,000 of them are allowed to go back to rebuild the temple. So 50,000 get back and they get to work. And for, for a little while, they build this nice foundation and then they build this nice altar. And then the Samaritans start to give them a little bit of gruff, kind of like, yeah, you're wasting your time. You're never going to make it as magnificent as it was. Just kind of coming at them, right? And giving them all of this doubt, planting this doubt in their minds. So they quit working on the temple. And for 14 years, they, they left it sit there And instead, they were building up their own houses. They were building up their own estates and their own mansions and and ignoring the house of God. So God, like you saw in the video, raises up the prophet Haggai to inspire the people to get back to work. And as he stirs in their hearts and he stirs in some of the the leaders' hearts, they kind of start working and then they stop working and they start working and then they stop working and and they need this ongoing motivation and they're trying to kind of say, well, why isn't it happening fast enough? So have you ever, let me ask you if you've ever been this person or ever had a friend or currently have a friend or a family who 
is this person that leads to a question where you expect something to happen faster than you think it is. And you come to the end of that and you say, well, was it really worth it to obey God? Is it really worth it to do what the Bible says that I should do? Have you ever met this person who, who doesn't know God, isn't saved, doesn't go to church, doesn't really want anything to do with God or to do with church, but you keep talking to them, you keep kind of, kind of witnessing to them, you keep kind of saying, hey, listen, I, I know where you're at, I've been there, but here's how my life changed when I met Jesus. You gotta come with me, you gotta, you gotta talk, you gotta pray, you gotta read, you gotta listen to me. And, 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 and it's like, they keep telling you how hard their life is, all these mistakes, all these problems that are happening and life is just piling in, piling in. And then finally one day, they're like, okay, leave me alone. I'll go to church with you, right? I'll do it. Just get you off my back, right? Maybe the church is the fix. I'll try it. Maybe Jesus is the, is the, is the, the fix. I'll, I'll go hear about him. So they come to church. You've drug them to church and they, and they walk in and they spend an hour church service and then they go home and, and, and a couple weeks later, you bump into them again and you're like, hey, listen, so, so how was it? How was it? You gonna come back? What do you think? And they look at you and they say, well, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Well, what do you mean it's not what you thought it would be? Well, I, I, my life is still the same. I still have all these problems and, 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 and it's not fixed and, and it's not perfect. And, and, and I couldn't, I, I looked and I looked and I looked and I, there, I, there wasn't an easy button at your church. Where's the easy button? Like, how do, where's the easy fix? And so you listen to them and you look at them and you're like, wait a second. Let me give you perspective real quick. You've been living this way for five years or for 50 years, or you, you know, you, it's, like, it's like you've been ignoring God all your life. You've been smoking dope for 10 years and you've been cheating on your wife for two years. You can't stop looking at pornography on the internet. And you think that you can spend one hour in a church and God's gonna fix your life. Here's what's happening. Is it worth it to obey God, if you're not getting that immediate response, that immediate fix, that's what that person, have you met that person? I tried church. I tried Jesus. It didn't fix everything. So I'm not going to obey. It doesn't seem worth it to me to show up, to follow the rules, to commit and surrender my life because it wasn't an instant fix. That's the problem I want to offer you today that I see as we bring through Haggai. The problem in that person's situation and the problem that so many of us deal with is what I'm going to call conditional obedience to God. Conditional obedience to God. This simply means what it is when you look at it. It simply means I'm in as long as you're delivering results. I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. I'm gonna come to church. I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna commit my life. I'm gonna go on mission trips. I'm gonna do everything that you call me to do. I'm gonna pray and ask you to stir my heart and call me to do things as long as it's not uncomfortable. It's not inconvenient. You're coming through, you're hooking me up and you're blessing me. As long as it's constantly constantly 
me gets to be happy, right? This is conditional obedience. It's kind of like selective listening, kind of like selective listening. I don't know what your experience has been with selective listening, but um, it's kind of like where I'm only going to listen to you, God, if I, if I get what I really want. So, uh, for example, uh, Elam uh, down here uh, dancing in the spirit during worship. Um, and he, I mean, it's like he can't control the moves, right? He gets so excited. But uh, Elam has a severe case of the, the toddler selective listening. But we go home at the end of the day and it's time to get ready for bed. He's running around all hyper. We're trying to get him to calm down. I can tell him over and over and over and over again, hey, buddy, it's time, it's time to brush your teeth and go to bed. It's time to brush your teeth and go to bed. I can say, hey, buddy, it's time to brush your teeth and go to bed. Listen to me. And he will just walk. He will play. He can't hear a thing. Is he, no, it's like, it's like did he go deaf? What's, what's happening here? But I can tell you that I can look at him from across the room and I can whisper, ice cream. What? There's a reward? There's a reward? If I obey, I, I, I get something? Wait, wait, you, you're promising me ice cream at lunch tomorrow if I get in bed right now and I'm nice about it? Like, like I'm not saying that's good parenting, but I'm just saying <laughs> selective listening, uh, it's conditional obedience. I will if you will, right? So what I want you to hear in this piece of that to see the problem um, God does not give us options to consider. God gives us commands to obey. God doesn't give us options to consider. God gives us commands to obey. And he calls us to that kind of obedience. But we have this challenge in our life called sin. And sin has this corruptive power like the example that I gave to you, sin has this corruptive power and it, and it digs deeper and deeper and deeper and it's an ongoing, ongrowing disease that, 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 we own, that we can only rid ourselves of by the blood of Christ. So here's what's happening. Now this is, gonna, this is a little piece, this is the piece of the passage that we read that was a little bit uh, kind of law, heady kind of stuff that really only, uh, uh, that when, when, when most of us read our Bibles, we're like, okay, where's the part that makes sense? But this is kind of like Bible nerd stuff, right? So what's happening is the corruptive power of sin is all of these people are, are turning to idols and they're ignoring the one true God. And then God tells Haggai to ask the priest this, he says, if someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest says, no. So that, that sounds a little weird, but, but literally what's happening is they're carrying this consecrated, this holy set apart meat, and they're putting it into the fold, into the kind of like a, an inside pocket of their robe, and they're, they're walking around. And, 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 and the idea here is that, that if something that is holy touches something that is 
not holy, then does that not holy thing become holy? So uh, if I would wash my hands, if you go home for lunch and, and, and you, got some, you got a dirty plate, I would love this, right? Like, you got some, like the sink is full of dirty dishes and you're like, I'm gonna clean these dishes. So, so you just, you go over to the sink, you wash your hands, real sparkle them up real nice. And, and, then, and then you just touch the plates and they become clean. Does it work like that? Oh, how I wish it did. So if I touch a dirty plate with my clean hand, does that plate become clean? No, it works generally the other way around, right? My hand is gonna become dirty. So the next verse says, then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replies, it becomes defiled. So this is uh, bad company corrupts Good character. Uh, this is life in the break room when I was in high school. This is, oh, I'm trying to be a good guy. I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to follow the Lord. I'm trying to be a good influence among coworkers that don't know God. But yet when I sit in the break room uh, surrounded by people who don't know God, it is so difficult. And you guys experience this if you're working. You, you get all of this negativity, all of this power of evil, all of this sin. And I'm not saying everybody in your life is bad. I'm just saying that, that those who are not walking with the Lord are are, are kind of walking with the evil ones. So you get all of this negativity, all of these dirty stories, all these things. And it's so hard to be the person that rises above that and stays clean because sin is like a disease. It's like a disease. And, and, and it's so much easier to spread than holiness. Sin is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like spaghetti sauce. It stains everything it touches. It's kind of like spaghetti sauce. You know, like I can't eat spaghetti with a, with a white shirt on because it's not going to make it, right? So it's kind of like that idea. So the next verse says, Then Haggai responded, This is how it is with these people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. God is telling Haggai to say, This is what's happening. They've given gifts to the altar. They've, they've given gifts in prayer. They're, they're, they're worshiping. They're honoring me with their lips. They're honoring me with their lips. They're doing what I ask them to do. But their hearts are so far from me. They're doing the action steps. They're checking the boxes. But their hearts are not in that. God's like, listen, all you're giving me is lip service. And I don't want lip service. I want more than that. Take it back to my kids. When Elam hurts Adler, Elam's almost three. Adler's just over one. And they fight a lot. It's kind of getting, Adler can defend himself now. So we're getting a little better. But Elam will do something that is mean to Adler. And we will say, buddy, you have to say you're sorry. And, and what is it, once you get this past the selective hearing, the selective listening thing, it's like, he, he finally shows so from across the room, I'm sorry. But you, you can do better than that. Uh, clearly you don't want to do this. So can you, can you look at him when you say it? So he's like, I'm sorry. Like, no, 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 no. Okay, that, there's, you don't really mean that. I need you to give him a hug when you say it more clearly than that. So then it's like, I'm sorry. 
Can you engage the arms? You know, it's, it's this whole thing where it's, I, I, you know what, I, I'm going to do what you ask me to do, but I don't really want to do what you're asking me to do, but I'm going to do it because the repercussions are worse than just kind of going through this, right? So uh, it, it goes, fits right in with the, you know what, I'll obey, but I want to see better results and, and because I want to obey, because I want to get the blessing. I want to get the blessing. I want to get the blessing. But, but Jesus says, I don't just want to give you the blessing. I want you to give me your heart and then I can hook you up with the blessing because this is a little bit of that kind of give and take piece, if you will. But see, here's the important thing that we need to know is we don't, it's not for the blessing. We love the blessing. We praise God for the blessing, but we don't obey God so that he will bless us. We obey because we love him and he loved us first. And he loved us while we were still committing sins that put him on the cross. The wages of sin is death, but God loved me even as a filthy sinner. God wanted more than a nice temple. God wanted more than a nine to five with, 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 with dirty work boots and overalls. God wanted the heart. God wants the heart. He's not just into make me a nice building. He says, I want hearts devoted and obedient to me. So he sends this reminder to the people. He says, now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I stuck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, and yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Now, let me be honest for a second. When I read this, I don't like this picture of God. Can I say that? Can I say that? Like, can I say that without getting struck by lightning or something? I don't like this picture of, of God in all honesty because when I read this, I see, well, well, you know what? I'm trying my best. I'm working hard. And, and you know what, God? You, you sent these things to keep me from having crops. You sent these things to keep me from succeeding. I'm putting in the hours. I'm putting in the effort. And, and, and yet you're doing this to me? Is it even worth following you? Now, why would a good God stop us from exceeding when we're doing everything that we can to just survive? If that's the way God is, then do I really want anything to do with that God? Is that really a God that I want to serve? Is that really a God who truly, truly loves me? But here's the thing. God wasn't trying to punish. He was trying to restore. And there are times when God may not change your situation because he's trying to change your heart. Now, I know that this is, uh, this is kind of theological thin ice right now, so I do want to be careful. What I'm not saying is that if something bad is happening right now to you, that you deserve it and God is sending it to you. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I wouldn't speak that into your situation. But we need to understand that sometimes God may allow things into our life 
into our situation with the purpose of getting our attention and drawing us back to him. Because what does it really mean for God to be a loving God? Does it mean I do what you ask me to do and you hook me up with what I want you to hook me up with, the comfort and the conveniences and all the blessings? Is that really what love is? Now let me consider this. If you're a parent and you send your kids off to college and you want them to get an education, you want them to get the college experience, you want them to be prepared to go and have a good job someday and build a life. So you're paying tuition, you're paying room and board, you're, you're, you're sending them spending money and, and you're just really making sure, you know, you're, you're paying for their car insurance, you're filling it up with gas every time you leave, you're slipping a hundred dollar bill in their, in their bag because you wanna make sure you're, your kid's taken care of, right? You're being a good parent. You're loving them. You do everything you can. But what if you then find out that uh, every time you give them cash, they're spending it on booze and cigarettes and they're skipping class, they're not taking tests, they're not doing anything. They're entirely just ignoring school. They're just living in a dorm room for free and completely wasting all of the blessings that you're giving them. What are you going to do as they abuse your generosity? What are you going to do? What's the loving step to do, but the hard thing to do is to cut them off, isn't it? That has to be a hard place to be, I admit. But is that not loving? That's not trying to punish, that's trying to restore because you want them to know, I want your heart and you're there for a reason and it's not just to waste my money right? So that's loving. See, God is simple in his love. Week one, he says, go up, bring down and build. Week two, he says, be strong, do the work. Week three today, at the end of Haggai, God says, more than anything else, I want your heart. More than anything else, I want your heart. I don't, God says, listen, the temple was great. I want you to. I need you to rebuild the temple. But I don't want a temple that's built by people who aren't putting their heart into it. I don't want your gifts. I don't want your money. I don't want your labor. Your labor. I don't want any of it if it's not led by your heart. Moses experienced this. I only want voluntary heart-driven gifts. It's kind of the heart behind the, the, uh, the giving boxes. Heart, 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 heart. I don't want it if it's not led by the heart. See, that's to tell you what happened when God says this. Their hearts started to change. They started to put him, put him first. They started to put his house first. It's the constant thread of love God and love others, the greatest commandment that Jesus calls us to. But this is happening all the time today where we... We don't lead with the heart because we don't obey because we love God and, and that he loves us. We obey because we think if we obey God, then we're doing it right. And we create this whole like, well, well, Christianity means I follow the book and God takes care of me when really that's, that's not, that, that, that would be like earning grace and that just doesn't compute with the Bible, but this happens so often today. Uh, it, it, when I grew up in youth group, one of the things, if, uh, it's not true, but it kind of felt like every, every three weeks we had to talk about, don't have sex until you're married, right? Don't have sex until you're married, right? So, so we hear this all the time. It's an important truth in the Bible, but how often do we take a message like that and we say, well, I have to wait 
I'm not allowed. No, it's, it's, it's I want to because I believe that, that God's way is the best way and, and that is the life that I'm called to and desiring to live. It's not a have to, it's I want to. It, it's just like with the tithing again. It's like, oh, well, I came to church, so they're gonna ask me for money. And that means, well, I, I was there for an hour, so that should be, should be a, a, a $50 service. So I have to put some money in. People approach these things like this. But it's not I have to. God says I have to. It's I want to because God loved me first. It's like forgiving. I, I want to forgive. I want to forgive. I want to forgive. It's not I have to forgive her. Like, well, she double-crossed me, and I really hate her, and I'm still going to hate her, but God says forgive, so I'm a forgiver, well, at least with my lips. <laughs> I ain't doing I ain't going to do nothing about it, but God says I got to give her lip service, so I'm going to live lip service. Don't want to live with that one, so I'm going to make sure she knows I forgive her. When the truth is, you haven't, because it's not the heart. It's I want to forgive because I want to be more like Jesus in how I forgive people. Verse 19 says, I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. I'm not going to make, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to give you prosperity teacher promises. Again, this is theological thin ice. But the message here is lead with your heart. Give your heart to God and trust him with the blessing. But trust him with the blessing and give him your heart because he loves you enough to take your sins to the cross die a sinner's horrible, horrible, horrible death so that you can be saved. Amen to that. How can you not love and serve a God who gave everything so that you can have heaven with your creator instead of eternal damnation with Satan? How amazing. So won't you pray with me because the worship team's gonna come and close us out and then Randy's gonna come up and pray us out and invite you guys to his class if you've got time today. Father God, I thank you so much for the call to obedience. I thank you so much for the message of Haggai that there is a blessing in being obedient to you as our Father. We love you, Jesus, and I truly pray that each one of us we'll see and be reminded that all you really want is our heart. Don't give, me your, don't give me your sweat until you give me your heart. I love you, Jesus, I praise you. In your holy name, amen.